Welcome to the Collective Evolution Show. The CE Show is a podcast that will feature anything from discussions to reports on a variety of topics, all framed within the context of transformation that is occurring within us individually and collectively as a society. You could probably relate to the fact that our current world seems to be falling apart and that things are becoming quite chaotic, and making sense of what's going on has become really tough. Old ways of viewing the world don't seem to be working anymore, so people are looking for new conversations. Many are noticing that much of traditional or mainstream media or even academia seem to be failing at understanding and exploring the cultural transitions and changes that are happening in people and society. The reality is that we've arrived at a time where we have to start talking about these emerging ideas that come from an entirely different narrative about what it means to be a human and what we're capable of. On this podcast, we'll talk about anything from current events to personal transformation, consciousness, future technology, and more. We'll explore real things that are happening in our world that are inspiring, but that may not be explored too much in pop culture or media. Of course, these topics can all be explored on our website as well at collective-evolution.com, where you'll find articles, essays, and videos. You can also join our membership platform called CTV, where we have a ton of exclusive video content, including original shows, discussions, and courses to help you make sense of the world and transform how you show up in life. You can visit CTV.one to check out our member area. Welcome to another episode of the Collective Evolution Show here. We're going to be speaking with um, a friend of mine that I've had as a friend for a long time, but we haven't actually gone on camera together, which is mind-blowing. Um, Derek Bros, he's a uh, alternative media journalist um, that has been covering a lot of different stuff, very similar to the kind of stuff we do here at Collective Evolution, where we're, we're looking at uh, various different current events through a different lens, but at the same time bringing in some of um, a little bit some of the more controversial subjects or the more fringe subjects like UFOs and, and so on and so forth. But he also has a solution-minded approach as well as um, a consciousness-based sort of undertone to everything that he's got going on. So enjoy this episode. There's a lot of fun uh, that we have here talking about a lot of the adjustments and changes going on within the, uh, uh, the information space, which affects all of us in such a big way. Hi, brother. It's good to have you here. Good to finally connect face-to-face like this. Yeah, I think we've been probably crossing paths and, and you know, been associated with mutual friends for probably a decade now. But this is the first time we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting how the, how the internet's like that. You can connect so much um, in, in a lot of different ways and have a lot of different connections. But sometimes it's like, you know, I feel like I've known you for so long, but we never actually had like a face-to-face, you know? It's... Uh, it's funny. It's a funny time in, in the world of connection, but uh, I know you've been doing like, let just give me, give me a rundown a little bit of like what you've been focused on. We'll say in like the past four or five years. And that's, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to say it that way, just because obviously in alternative media by nature, sometimes you're talking about what are political or current events, um, which I know you do touch on. So yeah, give give us a little rundown. What have you been up to for the past like four or five years? Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate the chance to speak to you and your audience, brother. Um, so, I mean, for the last five years, which would I guess we could kind of mark that with the the Trump era in the United States, um, I've definitely kept the, you know my finger on the pulse as far as my journalism. You know, I write articles. I've written for a number of different websites over the years. Currently, writing for the Last American Vagabond, uh, and I also produce video reports at my website, The Conscious Resistance. So, I've continued to do that. You know, in the last four or five years, exposing still the same kind of flaws in the political system and, and trying to call out 
um, both sides of the political aisle all around the world, as well as trying to promote and focus on solutions. Um, in that time, in the last four or five years, I've published my most recent books. I've published six books now, a couple in 2020. Um, my most recent kind of collected some of the works I've done before that's called the Conscious Resistance Trilogy. And it just explores everything from spirituality, meditation, psychedelics, uh, indigenous teachings to anarchism and uh, you know community organizing and decentralization, a lot of different big topics and tries to put it together in a real solutions focused uh, way. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've just tried to really, in addition to the journalistic side of my work, focus on solutions and encourage people to, to look outside of the political system, which for me personally is the solutions that I think are most viable and most likely to produce a long-term generational change in our lives, not just like kind of temporary piecemeal small changes that we achieve through politics or, you know, some people might think occasionally that violence is the answer, things like that. Obviously, some of the things we're seeing in the U.S. right now kind of reflect that. But uh, I don't really buy into either of those strategies. So I've been trying to encourage people as well as for myself, live this lifestyle of opting out of the banking system, trying to grow my food when possible, you know, getting out of the systems, these systems and not just talking about it or writing about it or kind of protesting it, but actively trying to make sure I'm not participating. And so that's been pretty key in, in my work, in my life as well. And uh, just this 2020, whenever all the COVID stuff started happening, I moved down to Mexico. I had kind of already been planning to move to Mexico. I've had this vision since 2016 of starting an intentional community that I call the Conscious Agora. And my vision had been to do it in 2020. And it just, you know, the way the universe works, the closer we got towards 2020, it seemed like it was a good time to do it. And so when COVID hit, I decided to kind of accelerate my plans to come to Mexico and start the land search. And so I've been down here for most of 2020 and I'm in Mexico right now and basically been building a community, helping people come down to Mexico who want to get out of the U.S. for, or and even people coming down from Canada, coming from Europe and Australia and other places. There's pretty interesting to see, actually, man. There's like a, a burgeoning movement of people who are not just in Mexico, but I think all around the world kind of looking to how can we start, you know, getting our little homestead or building a community because I think increasingly people are seeing that community is the answer. So I've definitely tried to promote that. Um, I put out a book as well last year called How to Opt Out of the Technical state that came out right before COVID. And, you know, coincidentally, a lot of the things that I was talking about are now very relevant as far as vaccine mandates and uh, the technology everywhere trying to limit us and the ideas like social credit scores. These things are very much in the forefront of people's minds now with COVID. And uh, my book was trying to say, how can we thrive and survive those of us who desire individual liberty, bodily autonomy, freedom of choice, how can we thrive and survive in a world that is increasingly trying to limit that and limit our movements and limit our actions? And so, yeah, I've, I've spent the last four or five years, you know, doing my investigative journalism. I've, I've also released, started to focus on documentaries. Uh, last year, I released my documentary, The 5G Trojan Horse. Uh, the year before that, I released a documentary about the finders cult in the U.S., which was child trafficking outfit mm -hmm. connected to the intelligence community. And I've done a documentary on Epstein. And so, you know, doing documentary reports, writing articles, doing video reports, putting out books, just trying to put out whatever kind of content I can to reach people and get them thinking not only about the problems as, as you know, you understand are valuable, but also like, I, I honestly, I've felt for a long time that what Collective Evolution does and what I've tried to do with the conscious resistance over the last eight or nine years is very similar in goals and message. You know, we try to report the facts about what's going on, but also you know, you might find articles talking about aliens on either one of our websites <laughs> or, you know, different things, you know, we're not, and that's for me was why I started the conscious resistance. I wanted to be able to like, 
I want to write about the serious topics, but I also want to be able to explore anything that kind of tickles my fancy, but also kind of keeping it rooted in the truth um, very much so. And, and that's one other point I'll add and then I'll shut up, uh, is that even with just everything going on the last couple of days in DC, I just posted this morning on social media, my thoughts on this situation that I've really tried to, I've started to kind of become a debunker of our own community in the last few years, because mm-hmm. there's so much bad information going around. And, and even just yesterday, like I said, with DC, this morning, I posted that I'm really starting to feel, and this has been going on for a while, increasingly disconnected from the conspiracy community or conspiracy culture, because I do see myself as a real journalist, even if I'll, I know I'll never be accepted by the mainstream. I see myself as a serious and fact-based investigative journalist. And my documentaries are not conspiracy documentaries. They're true crime documentaries that talk about conspiracies, but does it in a factual based, you know, evidence-based way. Make sure that we, that our work is staying rooted in, in the truth and, and facts. And that doesn't mean that we can't speculate or can't have these thought experiments or go down the rabbit holes because often the truth, you know, there's pieces of the truth in there. But I do see so many people who are just willing to believe almost anything or everything's fake or, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of these same things. So that's going to become increasingly important to me in 2021 as well, focusing more than ever on solutions and also trying to make sure that my work is very, very much rooted in, in facts and evidence and trying to encourage that in others as well. Yeah, well, that's that's well said. And and I think um, I think that is a really important piece to this whole conversation in general with with alt media, because like when you were saying you found yourself um, feeling like disconnected from the community, I've, I've, you know, my wife can tell you, like, I've said so many times over the over 2020, I'm like, I honestly feel like an outcast in this space, because um, there are, you know, and like, I don't want to get into like, oh, we're bad mouthing people or anything like that. But it's more so just to give uh, viewers who may not know, um, or have as much experience, like dealing right within it. But it's like, it's very common that like this, this space is kind of cliquey. Like a lot of people will, will like a lot of voices that are like the bigger voices will all just sort of align on something. And if, if you're dissenting from that voice or if you're even challenging that voice, they will get mad at you and like shun you out. And then like, and no one else will talk to you because like you're kind of trying to stay, um, you know, kind of critical of things in the sense of having a critique and, I did a piece on David Icke at, you know, in mid, mid 2020, not kind of putting him down, but just saying, I thought it was, I thought it wasn't the best approach to just come out saying, you know, COVID is 5G and the way that he did and Brian Rose, the way he was giving in the platform. Like, I know a lot of people look up to these people and are going to take what they say as like pure truth. And if you're not presenting it like a, you know, a journalist or someone that's really seeking the truth would where, where you're kind of open and exploring, like you said, going down the rabbit hole, asking the key questions. But if you're kind of just saying, Oh, well, you know, this is it. And this is how it has to be. Then it creates this uh, really strong polarity. So we're definitely like, I, I agree. We're, we're, we're kind of in this space where, where we're coming out of that. But um, yeah. So, you know, given all that about sort of this, this space, which is, you know, it's interesting that you feel similarly in that um, it's kind of, you kind of feel like an outcast trying to do quality journalism in this space. Um, like what have you found and what is your observation of what has sort of happened with um, how this community, if you will, has become sort of very extreme in that um, do you almost feel like that, that, that there's not a good handle on reality anymore? So I think there's a number of things that have happened. And again, you know, it's interesting you asked about the last four to five year period, because I really think that's where things have gotten increasingly worse. 
I won't solely place the blame on Donald Trump, but I do think that he's played a great role in this. You know, I, in 2016, right after he was elected, I wrote this article called uh, The Establishment's Plan to Divide, Donald Trump, Fake News in Russia, and was kind of not trying to predict, but just sort of looking at what I was seeing coming in and seeing that the independent alternative media was about to be attacked and labeled fake news, which obviously happened to all of us, to deleted yeah. off various platforms and shadow banned and, you know, demonetized and all that good stuff that we've been through. Um, but also that the fake news meme was used as a way to go after the independent media, but also as a way to kind of delegitimize the mainstream media, which I think in some cases, rightly so. But because of a lot of the things that have happened and people's desire to believe that Trump is a savior or on their side, we have seen, again, this like loss of critical thinking where people are willing to believe almost anything if it can continue to keep up that um, you know, that paradigm in their mind. Obviously, QAnon has been a big, big part of that over the last few years. And, you know, I think there's other factors here for one, even just looking at COVID-19 in the last year, obviously in Event 201, uh, the simulation of that, that I know you guys have covered, there were these fake news broadcasts and, you know, there were discussions on how they could handle the spread of disinformation, fake information about, you know, the potential for uh, this fake COVID virus to be um, man-made. And in Event 201, they talked about the flood strategy. They talked about flooding the people with, you know, good, quote unquote, quality information from official sources like the CDC, World Health Organization, et cetera. But I also believe that what they were talking about was flooding the, the internet and the airwaves with lots of bad information, disinformation, misinformation. So with the, the video you were referencing with David Icke and Brian Rose, I do think that was kind of a pivotal point of 2020 because with that video, which it's, I guess it's just his personal style of hosting. There's no kind of pushback. There's no questioning. It's just let the host say what they have to say. And that's a style that some people prefer. I think it can be pretty damaging because there, you know, that information again can be repeated. And if it's not factual, the people who see it, they believe and trust in, you know, David Icke and um, Brian Rose. And they say, well, then that must be the truth. You know, I must, I'm going to go ahead and repeat that and share that to my friends and my circles. And it gets repeated, then it gets fact-checked. And then, you know, it adds to the sort of plethora of information where our, let's say our kind of normal friends and family, they see that and they say, oh, look, see, I told you guys, this is a conspiracy. Yeah. There's nothing to this whole 5G thing. It's not COVID. You know, they sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater because, and, and in some cases, maybe they do so in a, in a, in a you know, a kind of logical way because there's so much bad information that if somebody is on the outside of our community, there has been an explosion of uh, QAnon websites and, and channels and, and, you know, just so much new media, but I don't think they all have the same standards that you try to use that I know I try to use and that other folks that I've worked for over the years, some who have been deleted and have not been able to sustain themselves like the anti-media and others in the past, who I know we had strict standards of what we were trying to hold ourselves to. And I don't see those same standards in many of these other places. And you could argue, well, because these people aren't journalists, they're just bloggers or just internet commenters or social media commentators, you know, and that's all well and good, but still there, I believe it has to come down to personal responsibility because in the end, yeah. we're only harming ourselves and harming our own causes. If we spread misinformation and bad information. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier with the event 201, the intelligence agencies, we know for a fact that they seek to put out false information and misinformation. And we don't have to get, you know, into sort of pointing at, is this person a shill? Is this person a shill? We just as individuals can take the responsibility and say, okay, I'm going to take in all kinds of information. I'm going to be open to these different ideas and, you know, go on any kind of websites, any kind of blogs you want, because I do think folks in the mainstream, they see a blog and they're like, that's a conspiracy blog. I'm not even going to bother yeah. reading it. 
I let myself go anywhere. But when I can see, okay, this guy is making lots of claims or this, whoever it is, this writer is making lots of claims. There's no evidence in here or it links to a meme and it's just got some circles and arrows drawn, <laughs> you know, like things that are not evidence, but people see that and they're like, this is it. This is, this right. is what I thought was factual. And I don't know. I, I just, I, I try not to spend so much. Obviously we've got such a big issue of what are they doing? You know, the great reset, all these bigger pictures. Right. But I still feel like if we allow ourselves to just be bogged down and fall for these traps, then we're spreading false information. We're only hurting our cause. We're not going to grow and, and advance our causes by getting new people to come in. And if they do come in, they're going to be coming in on false pretenses, which is, I think what happened with a lot of Q and on people. And I've seen this huge fracturing that unfortunately, Joe, I don't think it's going to go away. I mean, we have over the last four years, there are now people who are going to be going forward who think that Donald Trump is a savior who is fighting the deep state and somehow just couldn't overcome it. And, you know, it by all signs appear that Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the U.S. But these folks will continue to believe maybe some will kind of wake up and like, oh, wow, the mass arrest never happened. And, you know, the military tribunals didn't happen. But others will continue to hold on to it. They'll, they'll continue to string them along. And Trump's still fighting behind the scenes or this is all part of the plan or whatever they need to say. And it's very unfortunate. It's sad, I think, for truth. But also it is it is truly a fracturing of, of the movement that we're trying to build of awakening people. So if we have some people who've got bits of the truth, but then they've also got bits of lies, you know, we're not really kind of even living in the same world anymore. And, and I say that as well as about some of the people in the mainstream. So it's, it's just interesting because it's not just the mainstream false information that we're kind of battling against. It's within our own circles that we're battling yeah. false information. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's well said, especially in terms of the personal responsibility, because, you know, one of the pieces of criticism that I got when I made the piece about David Icke in London Real was like, well, but they should have the ability to have freedom of speech. And I'm like, yeah, I, I acknowledge that. And that's kind of clear. However, what I'm suggesting is like not only you as a viewer need to be, hey, is this a legit piece of information? But my feeling was and this is maybe because like you were saying with standards, but if I was Brian Rose, I would have either like, I would have been a little bit more like, Hey, you know, I just did this with David and uh, you know, here's some of the things that I think are, because again, people have to consider like there's freedom of speech where it's like, yes, I do believe everybody should have a voice. But if I have a platform, like doesn't a great, uh, you know, power come with great responsibility or is that just a cliche? Because if that's just a cliche, then fine. Brian Rose can put out whatever he can put out. No big deal. But if it, if you actually believe what that's saying, then you have to understand that having an audience is a, a great power that you have and you need to be responsible for that. And, um, you know, my thing was, and I know you talk about this a lot too with 5G, right? Like you've, you've spoken a lot about 5G and, and, you know, you try to take local action and all that sort of stuff. And, um, my feeling was as soon as that David Icke interview aired, it was, oh, great. Now the mainstream will never take 5G seriously again, because, the main, you know, the, the way the news cycle went is it, it just destroyed it. Um, have you noticed just out of curiosity, have you noticed like a change at all in the way people perceive 5g, like, uh, from a mainstream level in your activism specific to 5g, like are, have people closed off more or have they become maybe more open, uh, since let's say even early 2020, when that interview came out, a hundred percent people are less open to it. Right. And I think it, I think it was done by design because if you go back, so I started researching 5G October 2018 when Houston was first announced as the first city in the, in the U.S. where I was living at the time, and I was able to question the CEO of Verizon or able to question the mayor, and that kind of began my going to council and confronting the politicians, trying to get more information about it, and that also was sort of the beginning, which eventually led to my my documentary, The 5G Trojan Horse. So I spent two years 
researching it, working on it. And then in late 2019, there started to be, there was, there was two of them before COVID hit. There was one international, you know, global action against 5G, which was very successful. And then there was a second one in January, actually right before COVID happened, which was also successful. I think it was 150 cities around the world that were protesting in different ways. I was involved in Houston and we weren't making maybe much headway as far as the political game, because obviously the, there's a lot of captured agencies in all of our governments around the world that are beholden to various agencies, including big wireless. Um, but we were, I believe, moving the, the ball down the field as far as the uh, propaganda battle, getting people to realize that, hey, it's not just this commercial you're seeing that 5G is going to make you know your movies download faster and all that. There's a lot more <laughs> going on here. Cause that's all the public sees, right? Is like, Oh, right. get this new phone and you know, hundred times faster downloads and whatever else. So it seemed and appeared to me based on what I was seeing and the response, my documentary had well over, I think 115,000 views on YouTube before my channel was deleted and uh, on and more views on other platforms. It seemed people were listening to the message and, and really approaching it in a fact-based way and seeing like, okay, wow, there are some, some things here that we need to look at. And then COVID hit <clears throat> and the, the push towards, this idea that 5G was causing COVID, which I think does not have, it has very little basis in reality. I right. do not think it is, is truth. There are things we can look at and say, okay, well, there's this piece of thing and there's this piece of, you know, of information. But again, people like to make those leaps afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't like to, I'm not going to name any names, but I do feel there are a couple of people and a couple of outlets that are personally responsible for this. The Ike interview did play a big role in, you know, pushing that idea out there. But there were others way back in March and April that were just rushing to speculate. And for one example saying, oh, the people who are in the cruise ships, they're off, you know, they're, they're kind of telling them that COVID's spreading, so they need to kind of quarantine them. And then people were looking up like, look, these cruise ships have Wi-Fi, So it must be the Wi-Fi causing the, you know, the right. people on, on board to get sick. And all these different theories, which again, there's a place for speculation. And maybe that's just what some people like to do. They don't see themselves as, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a guy on YouTube. I just say whatever I want and, you know, throw out ideas and see whatever sticks. And that's fine. But many people take those ideas and those videos, as you know, went mega viral, not only Ike's yeah. video, but um, there was a couple others that were getting just 5 million plus views before getting deleted. So it got out there. That idea got out there. And I can say that I spoke to some sources um, within the wireless industry that believe that that this was actually pushed by uh, the wireless industry themselves, or at least if it wasn't started by them, that it was amplified by them in order to try to to uh, discredit the 5G kind of questioning movement, the you know skepticism of 5G. And I have seen since that time, to answer your question, that people, if I bring up 5G to somebody who is not in these circles, and their first thought is immediately that, oh, so you must think 5G causes COVID, huh? Right. It's, it's that automatic jumping, just like we've seen in other cases of, so, oh, you think you question 9-11, you must believe, you know, the reptiles run the world or what, just whatever kind of extreme thing Flat that Earth. you think. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or you believe in the flood, whatever it may be. And I'm not saying there's not a time and a place to question or have these conversations, yeah. but that's how it works is these people hear this extreme idea and they associate it with this topic. And, and I think many people have continued to do that. And unfortunately, still again, back to the problem within our own circles, there are still people repeating this information. There are still people sharing that study. It wasn't actually a study. It was a paper that came out that was claiming to link 5G to COVID that was then retracted. And I think rightfully retracted I did a video kind of debunking how this, that paper didn't really prove anything, but it, it confirmed the biases for people who wanted to see, look, it is, I knew it was this all along. And that is still getting shared out there, even though it's not true. And, and that's again, kind of part of the problem, but yes, I have seen people's perceptiveness to 5G information change since this whole thing began. 
Yeah. And it's interesting on that paper. I remember, um, like I was part of like, uh, I don't know. I don't really know what this one was, but it was like a, there used to be a group where a lot of, uh, different doctors and all these sorts of things. Like there was like a big email thread and the stuff would go out all the time to uh, a whole bunch of different people. It was almost like a little press release thing, but also like people were getting, um, you know, whether it was journalists or whether it was doctors, everybody was just sharing information. And um, I remember when that 5G thing came out, like there was some discussion in there, in that group amongst some of the scientists and doctors saying like, you know, it wasn't, I don't really know how I feel about this. And I, I think we should come together and request a retraction because uh, this could actually do more damage in terms of the, the narrative and the message around 5G and COVID um, than, than not. And other people that were the more like kind of extreme journalists that were in that group were like, um, no, like, you know, th th this is this is legit. Like, are you guys somehow shills or trolls for trying to want to, you know, get this paper retracted and all this sort of stuff? And I was thinking to myself, like, this is this is odd, like the infighting. Right. Um, but I think what like we might be seeing as a transition here and like, this is where I'm hopeful a little bit and I'd like to get your take on this, but like, I do think there is, I wrote an essay about this, like, you know, called conspiracy, trying to look at this sort of more serious mature, if you will, um, just to put a word on it, conversation that, that does need to happen around conspiracies where, you know, we aren't just believing everything that's going on out there, um, but that we actually are applying journalistic standards and trying to actually like critically think and, and go through that. But I'm hopeful because I'm seeing more and more people open up to that idea, right? And even even having journalists such as yourself that can see that as well, I think is an indication that um, that this culture is building. And it may be fractured, as you mentioned before, but I do think that this conversation is building. And so what I want to propose to you as a question is kind of like, um, I'm hopeful at least that, you know, we have a quote unquote, a mainstream discussion. And then we have a, you know, really conspiratorial discussion that might not always be grounded. Um, but there's an emerging discussion that says, hey, we're willing to talk about some controversial stuff, but we're going to do it with the same journalistic standards. Are, are you hopeful that that's happening as well? Yeah, I am hopeful. And I do think, you know, I don't want everything I'm saying to come off as like super pessimistic or anything like that, because I do think there's plenty of great things for us to be cheering on and to you know taking in and being appreciative of and grateful for and and i think most of that involves people who are critically thinking people who are questioning people who are checking sources and not just trying to validate the things that they already believe and i can say that i along with all the other kind of problems i described i've also gotten lots of messages from people saying thank you because you helped me see through this particular thing or and I'll just be honest, people who were QAnon supporters or Trump supporters who sometimes I like to be sort of bluntly compassionate. You know, I, I do consider <laughs> it to be compassionate. I don't think compassion always means sort of walking on eggshells. And, and also, I don't think it means feeding into people's delusions and just, well, let's just agree to disagree. I mean, we have to have facts that we can yeah. hang on to. We can't just say you agree to, you know, we'll disagree to disagree. You think that, you know, Trump is secretly saving kids from tunnels, even though there's no evidence. And I'll say there's not, and we'll just agree to disagree. Like, that's not really how things should work. So I am thankful that people will reach out periodically and say, you know, you were kind of blunt or, you know, at first I thought you were being rude or whatever, but I appreciated it. And I stayed in, I continued to listen to what you're saying. And I looked at the evidence and now this thing I was claiming, I realized it's not true. And thank you for that. You know, so that's rewarding. That's a good experience. And that's what I'm working towards is hoping that it is getting through to some people. So I do think that despite the difficulties and 
kind of grasping everything we're going through. Cause honestly, man, I cannot imagine waking up right now. It is just so much going on. I just imagine <laughs> how confusing it would be trying to navigate the waters. Even, I mean, it was, it was confusing 10, 11 years ago at that time when I was personally waking up, but I definitely feel like with everything going on right now, it's very easy to kind of get sidetracked into various rabbit holes that aren't based in facts. And so I appreciate everybody who does approach this journey with an open heart and open mind and an eye towards personal responsibility, accountability, and critical thinking, and also being willing to admit when you're wrong. You know, I, I, I think we all need to be willing to do that. You know, just as one example that I'll share yesterday in relation to all this DC stuff, there's lots of fake information going around. And I immediately saw some of it, there's memes going around. This guy is this person, this, you know, again, the circles with arrows and stuff like that. And I did a, a video just wanting to debunk uh, some of the points. And I think I was able to debunk some of them. But I also, somebody started claiming that one of the guys was an actor. It turns out he is an actor. And at first I, I looked at one of the pictures and it didn't seem to be the person they were saying. And I didn't use two sources. I didn't go check, you know, another website. Let me get before I responded. So I rushed to respond and say, guys, you're, you know, you're, you're wrong here. This guy's not an actor. Somebody sent me another link and I looked further and say, okay, what the tattoos do match. This is the same guy. I was wrong. Even though that one picture didn't look like him. Now, indeed, it does appear he's an actor. Does that mean he's a crisis actor? Right. No. But it, but but it is true that he's an actor. So we can acknowledge, like I can acknowledge, okay, I was wrong on that first part. I shouldn't have rushed to say that when I didn't know that hundred percent, that is true. But then also we don't have to rush to then say he's a crisis actor and this whole thing is yeah. fake. So, I mean, we have to go through each process logically and, and, and approach it that way. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I, and I think, um, you know, as a lot of these things are unfolding, like on social media, there is a lot of images being passed back and forth and people are figuring things out and, and, you know, part of me is like, man, I love that that happens, like that people can almost crowdsource uh, a, a, an investigation. However, it's like, I think the, the if to take away for me, at least is like, it, it's the way sometimes that people are saying it, like, look, here's all the proof that it's, it's Antifa or here's all the proof that it's crisis actors. So this isn't, uh, you know, just for people that might be listening that are going like, yeah, but you know, people should be allowed to have freedom of speech. It's like, no, no, I think we both agree with that. I think what we're saying is, if we're going to go down these rabbit holes together, let's just make sure that it's clear that we're, 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 we're speculating, we're bringing together, we're investigating. We're not just saying, Oh yeah. Hey, look, this is all the proof that we need in the world. Um, because I do think that that shoots this whole discussion in, in the foot in a lot of ways. And, um, one of the ways I want to segue this into something you mentioned earlier with, uh, the finders, um, I guess whether there was a cult or whatever it was, um, that was going on there. I came across that, um, uh, that as well in my some of my research around child sex trafficking and I actually thought there was there's about three there's about three cases finders being one of them that involved the U.S. that are like strikingly incredibly good um, pieces of information that show just how much there is a real um, child trafficking uh, situation going on in the United States that does involve some very high profile politicians and so on and so forth. And I guess not, not a lot of people know about them, right? Um, not a lot of people know that these cases are actually out there. Um, my question to you is, is, you know, with that research and that knowledge in hand, that expertise of having investigated a lot of this stuff, what's your feeling on um, kind of the culture around that child sex trafficking uh, discussion right now with given the fact that that QAnon and a lot of the, the discussion there has kind of almost like made it seem like 
it, it almost negates some of this very real evidence. Like, what, what do you have to say to stuff like that? Um, again, I think that we can't discount the possibility that some of that information spread through what is known as QAnon could be done purposely by intelligence agencies and people who are connected to these same things. Because in the case of the finders, you know, with, I encourage everybody to go uh, check out my documentary, Who Will Find What the Finders Hide? And it goes deep into this. I was actually able to talk to some of the police officers and who were involved in trying to expose this in the 80s. Uh, but, you know, just the, the gist of it is that we know 100% fact, like you said, these are cases that are way more credible than, you know, kind of talking about tunnels underground or this or that, things that may be existing, but we don't have evidence for. And we have clear evidence in the case of the finders that it was covered up by the CIA and the foreign counterintelligence agencies, specifically them covering up the trafficking of, of several kids and an entire network of people who were involved in this cult that called themselves the finders that had passports to places all around the world that had computer technology in the early eighties before anybody else did. And, you know, had lists of, uh, places they were buying children from had directions for how to hide, you know, all kinds of clear, clear information that was covered up in the eighties. And again, in the early nineties, and instead of focusing on those things or the more kind of valid, clear factual pieces of the Epstein case or Nygaard or Nexium or, you know, all these different ones that have come out, instead of sticking to those facts, a lot of the QAnon types, they try to take it to, well, there's also this other deeper thing going on that we can't prove, but based on some posts on, 4chan or 8chan and this other thing. And again, the memes with the circles and arrows on them, <laughs> this must be true, you know? And I think it is damaging. I think it's damaging to the cause overall to the point that, okay, many people don't believe Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, but what really has come of it? I would say, you know, maybe public awareness raised in some ways, but not much of it. In fact, there's a lot of people who believe false things about Epstein and yeah. it just turned into ultimately just a joke on Saturday Night Live where, you know, they're just like, oh yeah, Epstein didn't kill himself. Even they're kind of tapping into the meme, but there's, it's just a joke that's laughed off. There's no sort of real thought. Okay. So Epstein didn't kill himself. That would mean either somebody came in, somebody allowed somebody to come in there and to kill him or he didn't die, you know, like you have to start going through it, but it, there's not that thought behind it. It's just like, haha, yeah, it's a meme. It's a kind of joke. So I do think that there has been efforts by probably by, you know, purposeful efforts by government agencies in different parts of the world. I would say, I mean, we know that Epstein was connected to the Mossad. We know that the finders are connected to the CIA and covered up by the CIA. It's not outlandish to imagine that these people have an, uh, an agenda to try to, discredit the movements that are questioning these things and to make it seem like, again, I start talking about the finders to somebody who only pays attention to the mainstream. Oh, you sound like one of these QAnon people, right? right. You must believe blah, blah, whatever, you know? And so it's, it's just all about trying to poison the well. And I think that's the job that QAnon ultimately has served for whatever good it may have done for whatever good it may have kind of started people on their journey. There's still a lot of people who are believing and perpetuating false information. And just like with the 5G thing, I think that it hurt the overall cause and then kind of just another point on that is that there are people who are in the more mainstream kind of trafficking world. Like there's a, just as an example, an organization in Houston called the second cup. And it's a coffee shop that all the proceeds go towards fighting human trafficking in Houston. They don't particularly get into the stuff that we talk about, you know, thinking about, well, how many people at the higher levels are involved in this? Their main goal is just to rescue children, rescue people. And they're still doing good work, even if they don't go down those rabbit holes, those types of people though, are kind of against activists and journalists like us who are talking about these other pieces because they don't want to be associated with what they see as QAnon. They're like, oh no, those yeah. are QAnon people, even if we're not. But you know what I mean? It, it just kind of taints the whole pool of those of us who are legitimately looking at these topics and people in the mainstream who are 
who might maybe be open to some of the things we talk about if they could see the bigger picture, they now seem less interested because of QAnon stuff, even to the point that they're, you know, the whole um, QAnon save the hashtag save the children, which I mean, should be like a good thing that people should support, but it's been kind of turned into like, no, that's a bad thing because it's associated with these people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very tricky situation. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody, you know, quote unquote mainstream or not, you know, has to just start to really embody this, this, this essence of, of personal responsibility, right? Cause if you can, if you can do that, then you can navigate, you know, whatever is coming forth, um, and, and start to really start to think about it in a, in a deeper way, but also think about what you're sharing and, and not get into this mode of just because you're painting, uh, you know, everybody with one brush, right. That, that becomes the issue because it, it's like right now, um, anything that is detracting from mainstream narrative. Okay. It's all painted under a extremist brush, a radical brush. And, and, you know, there's even a podcast now out called the conspirituality podcast. And, you know, those guys are kind of, they're out there as, as debunkers trying to basically say, well, you know, the whole conspiracy space and all these different spiritual people are basically believing in all these crazy things. And they're talking about anything from QAnon to vaccines. And they're like pretending like there's no, real evidence around vaccines having caused um, harm to people. And they're in it, they're getting a, a ton of attention, right. Um, in this whole process. And uh, I think, that, you know, they're kind of following that culture of, of painting everything with one brush, but um, you, you mentioned uh, some stuff earlier too, about kind of this, some of the small political changes, right. So, if, if we're as a society, we're always kind of relying on the political system to make the changes, like, you know, stick to the due processes. If we if we use the political system, then we can make the small baby changes and eventually we'll get to a better world. And um, like you, I very much believe that that's not necessarily the way I, I want to go about it. And that's what we kind of explore with our audience. But I'm curious, like, why is it that you feel so many people, even in kind of the open thinking uh, space, do still very much put a lot of faith into the political process. I think people want a, a quick, easy fix. Um, you know, it's even the people, cause just as another example, and I, I hope people hearing this who maybe believe in QAnon or were formerly into QAnon don't think that I'm trying to just, you know, attack anybody here, but it just, unfortunately it probably provides a very good example for a lot of things we're talking about. Um, but I've talked to some of the folks who believe that, they believe in QAnon or they believe that Trump is like a secret savior fighting the deep state and, you know, just hold on, trust the plan, you know, things are coming, these sort of things. And whenever push comes to shove, when we have like, an, when I have a conversation, like, okay, let me, let's discuss this. Let me hear where you're coming from. Let me try to point some things out to you. What I often hear, the conclusion of them is something along the lines of this. Well, if Trump isn't fighting us, fighting for us, then we're screwed. Because it's going to be global communism. It's going to be global. You know, that it's this idea that, well, without this one person there fighting for us, then that's it. You know, we, we, there's just no way we can save ourselves. And I think that's a huge part of the problem is so people, instead of kind of thinking that maybe there's steps we can take, because it looks very insurmountable, everything that we're dealing with. I, I am 100% with people like this is a very difficult struggle that we have ahead of us but i also think it's the most beautiful struggle ever i believe 100 percent that our creator put us here on this planet at this time to take on these challenges i mean that is the the view that i have taken and so much in my life has shown me that so many synchronicities have shown me that the people that i'm connecting with and the people that we are reaching is is for a reason and for a purpose and i think that if we can start to see 
that there are opportunities to change the world, to help ourselves that don't involve politics, that don't involve trusting the plan or just sitting by and doing nothing, which is what a lot of people have done because they believe, well, this one person's got it. This, this team of you know, experts and military people, these good guys, white hats, insiders, whatever, are going to save the day. So I don't really need to do anything. That means I can continue to maybe live an unhealthy lifestyle. I can continue to just act as if things are normal. When I really, I don't think that's, that's going to work anymore. You know, we, we, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the Great Reset and sort of my plan for how we can overcome that. But the truth about the Great Reset and these ideas is that they are right in many ways. The world is unsustainable. The world yeah. is very much in a state of disrepair. Like, I mean, we might not want to acknowledge that because we don't like their solutions, but I think we have to acknowledge it. We have to come to grips and realize that going back to normal is not going to work and the new normal is not going to work. And there's also, at least let me speak for Americans, where I'm from, there's a lot of this fictionalized myth mythological version of American history, you know, and Trump has tapped into that with make America great again, go back to this thing, this sort of idealized time where things were supposedly perfect, which doesn't really exist and history doesn't really bear that out. You know, it's not, I'm not yeah. here to say all of America's bad or all of America's good, but the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And it's not that we had this perfect thing in the past, we just need to get back to it. It's the, the fact is that this system and the people, what I call the predator class who have been manipulating our world for generations, they have created this situation, but we also play a role. It's not just about pointing your fingers and saying, it's Trump, it's the Rothschild, it's, you know, whatever, it's Biden, whoever, it's Clinton's. We also have to point our fingers back at ourselves and say, in which ways am I contributing to this problem? Okay. So yeah. you can say that you're against um, the, uh, you know, say the, the Rockefellers and the big oil barons and, you know, all that that represents because we know the oil industry taps into the pharmaceuticals and taps into the GMOs and taps into ener energy. But are you out there buying the products that support that industry? Are you out there eating the food that supports that industry? Are you out there, you know, just participating in that system? And they have made it very difficult to survive without their products. So I'm not here to victim blame, but I'm just saying, again, we have to take a level of personal responsibility. And I just don't see how we can really believe knowing everything we know, which many of us know about pedophilia to, you know, uh, these people being involved in various occult rituals and, you know, all kinds of things going on in the background that we can see that and truly believe that voting or playing politics is going to lead to the place that we want to get to. I mean, I, I don't think it's a defeatist message, but they have the political system wrapped up. There are some changes you can make on the local level, but I also ran for mayor of Houston and Houston's not a small city. It's 4 million people, but even on that level, thousand people out of the whole city even bothered voting and those 200,000 people got to chose the mayor of the fourth largest city in the country that's making international deals with people all over. I got to see firsthand there's just so much corruption down to the neighborhood level, to the local level, that if the powers that wish they were, even on the local level, don't want your town or city to know that you're running, they can do that. They can very much do that. My point here is that there is a level of control that exists on the federal level and down to the local level. Maybe in some smaller towns and cities, it might still be possible to make those incremental changes. And I still, you know, I'm still out there and trying to fight for them when I can. But ultimately, I do believe the answers are for us to exit from their systems as kind of insurmountable and kind of what does that even mean? I mean, it, it to me, it's very practical. It means try to find a way to get out of their banking system where possible, to use local credit unions if you can, to, in, you know, explore and invest in alternative currencies. My favorite currency is seeds. 
try to grow your own food when possible. Have a little backyard garden, join a community garden, you know, support farmers and farmers markets, especially during these times of COVID. We need to have relationships with our farmers. Um, thinking about ways that you can take care of your education. We live in this beautiful time with the internet where there are so many different ways to educate ourselves now. You know, YouTube University, as well as all kinds of free schools out there that offer education for kids, as well as college level courses. You know, there's just, we have so many opportunities that, to kind of live our lives outside of these systems that I think that if we embrace them, which again, I understand it takes more time, it takes more energy than just pressing a button and just voting or just putting your faith in somebody. But Guys, I believe that the real change has to come from within us and also that it's a generational change. You know, I very much believe, as I know you do, Joe, uh, in the indigenous tradition and principle of seven generations and that I'm not just fighting for the people that are here today and for my nieces and nephews and for maybe my future children, but for the seven generations that are coming after us and beyond the people that we will never see, the people that are coming after us, the decisions that we're making today are directly going to impact and affect the kind of world that they're born into. So if we don't do anything, if we just kind of passively hope that somebody else is going to take care of things, then I don't think the world they're going to be born into is going to be one that respects liberty and the choice and bodily autonomy and, uh, you know, self-ownership and these kinds of things. So I'm trying as much as possible to remove myself from these systems. And, you know, it, there's, there's a philosophy behind this. I don't want to get too kind of lost in the details, but for anybody who's interested, they can look up my website and um, check out my books. It's called Agorism and Counter and it basically just like, let's get out of their economy. Let's get out of the state controlled economy. Let's, build a new economy. Let's build a new system. Let's, you know, stop being dependent on their banks, on their money, on their education system and everything else. And it takes time and it can seem again, like, wow, I'm maybe you've got a 401k and you've got, you know, debt and you've got all these different things. And it sounds so far away, but piece by piece, we can start taking steps to remove ourselves from these systems. And with the vision that we see, it's coming in with the technocracy, with the, if you don't get a vaccine, if you don't do what we say, we can lock you out, we can penalize you. We need to be increasingly aware that freedom is going to happen outside of their system. If we stay dependent on these governmental and corporate systems, they are very much going to be able to social engineer the decisions we make. And we're already seeing that with COVID. So my, I guess, advice to people is to just recognize that real change has to come from within, of course. The most local you can go is your own heart, your own mind, working on your own trauma, your own doubts, fears, and insecurities, but also then looking outside of yourself and looking at your local area, trying to start local groups, what we call Freedom Cells. And, and we built a website for this called freedomcells.org where people can use our maps to find local cells or groups near them and local people in their area, and then connect with the goal of meeting in, re in the real world and starting to organize and develop skills, share ideas, you know, be a support system for each other because i think that's going to be so important in the coming you know weeks days and months yeah well said i i think there's um you know even there, you you alluded to a couple of things that I, I do want to get to in in a couple of seconds here um but you know it this very much is a journey that 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 has to begin within and i think sometimes people um going back to the political question we forget that you know, just because a leader changes, it doesn't change the hearts and the minds of people and how they're operating on a day-to-day -day level. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the, the areas and through all of, you know, of history that, that there's never been a great focus on is developing the individual, um, you know, to, to shift their state of being, to shift their state of mind um, and their worldview and, and the way they see themselves and each other and what life is about. Um, and I think if, if we can do that, we might have a different perspective that we take to, uh, you know, creating society. But um, 
one of the the nuances here, and this is kind of uh, you know when we're when we're getting into a lot of the the Trump discussion and stuff like that, I, I thought it would be worthwhile for listeners to kind of you know see a little bit of a discussion on this because you know when when Trump did come in in 2016, and you mentioned uh, this that you wrote a, an article at the beginning that was kind of um, you know looking at some of your observations as to like what Trump might represent and how he might play into this picture of of what's going on in the world and the, you know, the, the banning of, of a lot of alternative media. It's hard to, it's hard to say that there wasn't a huge mainstream media push back on Trump and everything he represented. Right. Um, there were aspects of what Trump did that, that did seem to go against that classic, you know, predator class narrative that, that, you know, to use uh, your term there. Um, what's your take on that? How Trump sort of did in some ways seem like an outsider, but then in many other ways didn't. Um, and, and given that there is a very real fact that there was a lot of very mainstream pushback against everything that was Trump. I think that's a great question, and I'm glad you, you brought it up because I do think that there's lots of nuance in there. I don't think it's as simple as some people who are just kind of anti-Trump for just the sake of being against Trump. And unfortunately, again, like that's I whenever I'm critical of Trump, that's what I get from people is, well, you just hate Trump. You're just negative. You're just yeah. it, they don't actually look at the information I'm saying. They assume that it's coming from this place that, as you said, they've seen this extreme bias from lots of the mainstream media. So they assume, oh, you have Trump derangement syndrome, right? You're just spouting out anti-Trump things without evidence. Uh, the reverse side of that, of course, is Trump savior syndrome, where everything he does is, you know, is good. I would say that ultimately, I think that. At the best, he represents a slight aberration from some of the previous presidents that we've seen and some of the previous world leaders. But I don't buy into this idea that he surprised the main the, the people and that they didn't see this coming. I, I think that is, in fact, a storyline, a narrative. And I would say this is what I wrote in 2016 in um, November 26, no, December, right after his the election. And I think that that's bared out over the last four years. I mean, yes, I can, let me just start with, okay, pulling out the TPP, something I definitely support. I you know, was against that when Obama was doing it. Um, I believe that we need to take care of the environment, but I don't think top-down government is the answer. So I don't really support the Paris you know, climate uh, agreement. So I'm not mad that he did that, right? There's different things that I could point to. There's also this other mountain of things that we would have to, there are genuinely people in the mainstream who are just anti-Trump about anything, right? Who just, whatever, if they can find a reason to talk bad about Trump, they will do it. And then of course, ignore anything that might be potentially good that he's done. And so that does seem to be real. Um, but I also think that generally it is a narrative that's being played out. I mean, we have to remember that Donald Trump has been in the American psyche for generations since you yeah. know the eighties, he's been on TV shows You know, he's been, he was a celebrity. And then well before he even had the, um, what is it, the apprentice you know tv show and any of that kind of stuff like he was still like very much in american movies and then of course he was around in 9-11 i don't think that these things were done for uh you know for just randomness i can't sit here and say that i have the hard facts of why that is but i do think there might be some element of predictive programming kind of keeping donald trump in the public consciousness or you could just argue he's a wealthy businessman and you know likes getting in front of tv either way i don't think that they expect they were surprised or you know, kind of amazed in, in my view, again, looking at everything we know about power and knowing that these people have killed journalists, they've killed people who tried to speak out. They've, you know, whether it's doctors, whether it's, uh, you know, Michael Hastings and other journalists, we know that they have no problem killing people in other countries, uh, trafficking children, you know, just all kinds of horrible things. 
And the immense amount of power and resources that they have, you know, just one example, the NSA building massive database during the Obama years that's in Utah that collects billions of pieces of data every single day. And they need, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons of water just to cool the servers because they have so <laughs> much computing power there. I mean, that's just one example, one database in the United States, not to mention Israel, Russia, China, Canada, you know, the other five wise nations that also have somewhat similar capabilities. And I don't see how with all that power, and knowing that how far back these people have been planning, that they could just be stunned. And the other thing is, when you look at so the campaigns of Ron Paul in 2008, 2012, you look at the campaigns of Bernie Sanders in 2016 and again in 2020, and we saw clear examples of these men being screwed out of their, you know, their support, and maybe more so more blatantly with Bernie Sanders. But to me, again, like that shows that if somebody is challenging the power and doing it in a way that the power doesn't necessarily want, um, you know, I'm not really a fan of a lot of Bernie Sanders ideas, but he did seem to represent a populist movement that didn't really jive or fit in with what the narrative they want to push, which yeah. is why he didn't get in there for the nomination in 2016. And again, 2020, despite, you know, it's like the most unpopular people got the nomination, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. So <laughs> that, that to me shows power that they can keep somebody out of there if they want to. Trump was bailed out by the Rothschild bankers, particularly Wilbur Ross in the 80s. And then when he became appointed into presidency, he put Wilbur Ross in his cabinet. You know, Trump was associated with Epstein and the guy, uh, Alexander Acosta, who helped create the secret sweetheart deal for Epstein, got appointed by Trump. And then, of course, when it came out, you know, he, he resigned or whatever. But I mean, to me, it's just like I see all these different connections. I see that Trump and Biden both continue the kind of tradition of supporting Israel at all costs, supporting Saudi Arabia, which we know has some role to play in 9-11. Uh, Trump gave the biggest weapons package ever to Saudi Arabia, which is they're using those U.S. weapons to fund the genocide that's taking place in Yemen. Those are U.S. Uh, bombs dropping on Yemeni people at the you know, behest of the Trump administration and the Saudi uh, royalty. You know, and I could go on and on, but I think that to me, I just don't see how he represents anything more than maybe a slight operation. What I said in that article in 2016 was that his role was to be the great divider. I believe that that is exactly the role that he played that like, yes, he can say certain things like he did when he was running. Oh, you know, we're going to look into 9-11. Uh, he said one or two things about the Federal Reserve and, you know, talked about Clinton will be in jail. And of course, talked about WikiLeaks. None of those things have bared out. You know, now he's totally just silent on Julian Assange. And, you know, I just see so many things that seem like he was just playing a role, like most of these people do play a role. And maybe that role included occasionally pushing back and saying things that people can see. Look, he said something against the globalists or he spoke out against socialism or these kinds of things. But when we actually look at his actions, not his tweets, not his rants, they show that he he pushed the paradigm. He accelerated the rollout of 5G in the United States. The uh, you know, he helped push AI forward in a lot of ways. Many people haven't been paying attention to that, helping the military become more interconnected with the AI industry, uh, which is a part of the technocracy, which is part of the fourth industrial revolution, which is part of the great reset. So I, you know, maybe things will go slower if Trump's in office than Biden, but ultimately I'm not sure how much difference that makes. I mean, and again, I think that because of these slight kind of, well, he did this thing, or maybe he did this one thing, or people say, well, he removed more regulation than any other president. And depending on your political view, that could be a good or a bad thing. But I do know for a fact that, yeah, he did remove regulation when it came to big wireless to help them remove local voices and making it easier to roll 5G out all around the country without the people being able to do anything about it. So if you consider that case of removing regulation to be a good thing, I, you know, I guess that could be a positive thing. But ultimately, I think that when all is said and done, we're going to look back and see that Trump ended up being the most divisive president. And in some cases, for the reasons the left wing is saying, I mean, I don't know about you personally, Joe, but like, I, you know, 
grab her by the, you know what, you know I mean? Like that, that to me is like, okay, that doesn't show you what his political policies are, but it does show the kind of person he is. And I see some saying, well, that's just how men talk in private. That's just locker room talk. I don't expect you talk that way. I know I don't talk that way. I don't. And yeah. I think that that's not, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's a normal thing. And maybe some guys are like, oh, get over it. You guys are just being sissies or whatever. But to me, there's these things like the association with Epstein, the association with Maxwell, the fact that even before Trump was president, he had been accused of rape by several women and different things. There's just a lot here to unpack that I feel like in order to kind of keep your vision on he's a good guy, you have to ignore so many things. Right. Like, And it, it just doesn't bear out for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. I, I, you know, I have a, a little bit of a, of a theory that I've shared and I'll kind of sum it up really fast because I've shared it so many times, but it's just kind of this idea that I think, you know, again, to use your terms, like the predator class, um, could almost be viewed as like, uh, the New York mafia, right? You have, you have this game that's being played called the mafia. Uh, there's different families within that. And those families are kind of fighting for power at different times. And who knows, like, some of these very wealthy people in the predator class might have alliances and they fight with each other. And maybe that's why we saw what appeared like political warring uh, for the last four years. Maybe that's why, you know, you could get media to go completely go against them on something. Or maybe, you know, the, po the point is, is it's like you, you have these unelected people that are having huge uh, amounts of power over the, the general population. And um, but yeah, the general point seems to be it's like, you know, you have these these huge, powerful people. Uh, unelected in some cases that are having uh, huge influences over people. And, and, you know, the question is, is it's like, are we really believing that, um, that these people are working like really on behalf of making a thriving world for humanity or are they kind of working on, yeah, sure. Like you said, maybe there's going to be a slight change or a slight step forward in some arenas and maybe a slight step back in others. Like, like who knows, right? Um, but it kind of leads into what you were mentioning at the end with the Great Reset and, the, and you know, the te technocratic agenda and so on and so forth. Um, and I, what I kind of wanted to do is, is use the Great Reset, um, just if you could sum up what your perspective is on it and then sort of go into this concept of uh, agorism. Um, I think that'd be an interesting way to kind of like enter into some of the solution talk. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Great Reset, there, there's two ways to look at it, right? So it's, on one hand, it's a marketing campaign that is being put together by this organization called Purpose Disruptors, which is, I've been investigating them. It's very difficult to find out who they are, who runs them. They're a private organization, but they show to be, they're some, somewhat connected to the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum is, of course, this internationalist think tank that has been around since, I believe, the 70s. And they are much like the Bilderberg Group, but a little bit more public in the sense that they have heads of state come together, media personalities, um, actors, financial leaders, and they get together in Davos, Switzerland to discuss how to make the world a better place. It's kind of the mainstream version of events there. They announced in June that COVID-19 has presented this wonderful opportunity that now that we can see our systems are unsustainable, COVID has shown that the, the uh, food distribution system is not going to last much longer, that our economic systems are unsustainable, that are you know, all these different things and so because of that, this presents this great opportunity to reset our world. And they have a whole web page and dozens and dozens of podcasts and videos on the World Economic Forum website and YouTube channel that you can find where they talk with different experts in these fields about how we can reset or remake the world because now we can see that clearly capitalism doesn't work and you know we're, our world is falling apart unless we quickly do something about it. 
And they also, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, who also is a steering committee member of the Bilderberg Group, um, has also put out a book about this. And so it's like they announced it in June, then a month later they had a book about it. He previously wrote another book in 2016 called The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which the fourth industrial revolution is kind of just the term for technocracy. It's moving from this previous generation of we have devices and computers to implantables, uh, to wearable technology, to, you know, transhumanism, some would say, uh, and having the internet of things where everything is interconnected and has sensors and is connected to the web in some way, as well as these ideas that they've been talking about more recently, like the internet of humans and the internet of bodies, which is where we actually become a part of this kind of infrastructure. And so the world that they imagine is very much a top-down centralized authoritarian vision. You know, it, it, they talk about it in very flowery Kind of positive language that again if somebody's reading this and they don't know who these people are or their their motives and who they're connected to it sounds like yeah this is great like you know sustainability like take care of the environment you know let's make the world better place more equity more social justice all these kinds of things that are buzzwords that some people kind of latch on to but when you really understand their motives and, and even just the language and what they put forward it definitely is a world that they envision that does not have choice where yeah in relation to COVID-19, you won't be able to travel freely unless, you, unless you've proven your vaccination status or proven your immunity, then you can go to the concert, then you can go ride the bus, then you can fly, then you can work, then you can travel, you can play, et cetera. And they see this as a positive thing. And there, you know, there's just, there's so much to the great reset uh, picture. I did put out a mini documentary. It's about 10 or 11 minutes long. That's on my website. If anybody wants to find out more about that. And I've written some articles on it, but that's essentially what it comes down to is that they envision that they can remake the world in a better way that is more equitable and more just, but it's very much a world of top-down control by technocrats and technocrats are unelected people. These are not people you didn't vote to get Bill Gates power. You didn't vote to give Klaus Schwab power. And on the surface, it appears like they have no power. They're just, you know, philanthropists running think tanks or whatever, but they actually do wield a lot of power. And we've seen that with COVID-19 with Gates, particularly how much he influences global health policy. So they have a vision of, of the world. And the answer I believe is the solutions I was promoting earlier. And, you know, you asked about uh, agorism and counter-economics. And so I'll, I'll explain that. And I also want to say that the answer that we're pro that I myself and many other people are proposing is to, figure out how do we continue to survive and thrive in this world because it's all in motion. I mean, they put billions and trillions of dollars into this great reset. Again, I don't think it's going to stop whether Donald Trump's president or Joe Biden's president. It's things are set in motion and perhaps we should take advantage of this. Perhaps we need to recognize that, as I said earlier, the world is unsustainable. Things are fracturing. There is a lot of healing that needs to take place both internally as well as with the planet and with us as a collective species. And so we can either just passively sit by and be swept up in the World Economic Forum's vision of the Great Reset, or we can take advantage of this momentum and say, hey, guys, yeah, they're right. Let's, let's reset it in our way. Let's reset it in a way that respects individual liberty, bodily autonomy, freedom of choice, and living in harmony with the planet. But, you know, again, by choice, because very much of their vision is like, we need to save the environment, we need to save the planet, which I'm all for. But it's like, in order to do that, we're going to fine you if you do this, or we're going to, you know, have more government programs for this. It's 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 not a solution that I think is going to uh, work or is going to lead to more freedom. And so the idea of agorism, which comes from the Greek word agora, which just means the market, the marketplace, is that we could 
exit from their systems. The guy who created it, his name is Sam, Samuel Konkin III. He died in 2004, but he wrote a couple of books in the 60s and 70s. He was very much active in like the 60s student movement and the U.S. He's originally from Canada, actually, and then went to the U.S. and, um, you know, did a lot of activism and wrote a couple of books and promoted this idea that rather than vi- uh, voting, rather than violence, that we choose a third, pa- a third way, a middle path. And this middle path says, instead of trying to overthrow them and let's be the new kings and imagine that's going to fix things, which never has in history, or Mm. instead of voting and playing their game, let's remove our consent and let's take our, let's stop playing the game altogether and let's put our energy, our money, our time, our resources um, into something else. And so he called that the counter economy. And he was really, he had a, a bunch of brilliant insights that I think are still just kind of now being understood because he predicted some things that have already come to, uh, come to fruition when he was writing, you know, there wasn't computers yet, but it was very much into sci-fi and, you know, that sort of genre. And so he was envisioning like, how are we going to use computers to create more freedom in the world? How are we going to use technology even before it was existing? And so he predicted some things like uh, cryptocurrency and other things, but he imagined this sort of four stage scenario taking place where you have where we're at, or let's say where we've been most of history is that the state and the corporations are kind of dominating and controlling all aspects of our lives. They're taxing you. They're limiting what you can do. They have control of the landmass. They have control of the resources and police, et cetera. And then people start to question that and start to exit from the system. Somebody says, Hey, I'm not going to use that bank anymore because that bank robbed me in 2008. Cause that bank funded the pipeline. Cause that bank, you know, did this or that. I'm going to take my money out of that and I'm going to put it in a credit union or I'm going to invest it in some alternative currency or we're going to start our own local paper currency, which I've seen some people do. So that person then is taking their resources away from the state, away from the system that is working against them, the same system that is seeking to you know, control and manipulate us. So they take it away and then it goes into what is sometimes known as the informal economy or what Konkin called the counter economy. And actually the interesting thing is 70% of the world lives in the counter economy, you know, outside of the places where we're from, the United States, Canada, uh, much of Europe, like let's say parts of Mexico, parts of Central and South America, parts of Africa, um, you know, even parts of the Middle East still very much lives outside of the system. They either deal in cash or they, some of these people don't have digital IDs, they don't have digital bank records. So they're already outside of those systems. And in fact, the counter economy is the largest economy in the world. There are more people around the world trillions of dollars that are exchanging money and value outside of the state's hands. And Konkin's sort of, I guess, realization was that if you could take that energy and that, that money and that, that, that resources and actually get people to realize that there's power in that, then you could create this mass movement of people who over time start exiting from the system. And so he imagined that slowly bit by bit, people would be exiting. They would start building alternatives to the state, whether that's education, media, eventually being able to defend and protect their own communities without depending on uh, maybe violent police officers or just you know being able to fund your, take care of your own community. And so he started imagining this bit by bit, people would exit as they started to create pockets of agoras, as he called them. And he envisioned that over time, our friends and family who are still locked under the state, and let's say they're getting vaccinated, they're getting tracked and traced everywhere they go, they're getting heavily taxed, they're, you know, they're dealing with all the kind of normalcy of that world and of the Great Reset vision. They're going to see, hey, look, our friends are over there. They're, they're eating good, healthy, organic food. They're thriving. They seem happy. You know, maybe I should go check what that's about and that there would start to be this exodus. And I believe we're seeing this. I mean, I can say that in 2020, when we put up our, our most recent version of the Freedom Cells website, 
till the end of 2020, we have 9,000 members. I mean, exploded now 9,000 members all around the world to people who are connecting with each other, who are finding each other and, and organizing in the real world. Um, I've just seen a massive explosion in interest in this concept of freedom cells and agorism and people looking to like, how can I get outside of the system? Because they are now realizing the system is getting more and more oppressive, more and more invasive into their lives. And that it might get to a point where you can't just go buy your groceries without proving your vaccine status. And so then you think, well, how am I going to survive without that? Well, I need to make sure that I can still eat without that being dependent on that uh, factory farming, industrial food production system that is unsustainable already because it, we ship food all over the world. That's already an unsustainable system. We need more localization. We need, we need more decentralization. And so Konkin just was imagining that using counter economics by exiting from the system and also using what he talked about black and gray markets, you know, so if the state says you need to get a license to cut somebody's hair, if you don't get a license, but you cut somebody's hair, that's the gray market, right? And so that cuts the middleman out. You're not giving them any of your tax money for a piece of paper that says you have a permit to cut your hair. It's just Joe wants a haircut. I cut his hair. He gives me money for it. And that's a voluntary individual exchange. And also, he talked about the black markets being things that the state says are, quote unquote, illegal. He very much believed that if you're not harming anybody, if there's no if it's not, there's no actual uh, harm or crime there, then even if the state says it's illegal, if you feel it's moral, then you should have a right to do that. So what are some examples yeah. of that? The most obvious example to me is that when the state does say it's going to be illegal to travel without vaccines, what always happens anytime the government tries to clamp down, they create a black market, just like with the drug war. There, there will be yep. a black market where there will be fake vaccine passports. There will be hackers that come up with ways to create, you know, this will thrive. And that's what Konkin realizes that every time they clamp down, there's always going to be people outside of it. And if we were to consciously move our efforts outside to build this next stage, you know, which is very much, I think, in line with the Buckminster Fuller idea, of we build something new rather than working with the old, yep. then we can we can kind of take that collective power and create the next stage of humanity, which I know it sounds like a very big idea, but I've seen it, this concept growing more and more. And, you know, I wish he was around to see it, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that this is, I'm not saying it's the solution, but it's one of, I think, many solutions that can exist. And uh, as I said, there's been an explosion of interest in this. And so I'm, I'm promoting that as part of the, the solution to the Great Reset. And, you know, it, it's kind of central to this event that we have coming up called the Greater Reset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell us uh, a little bit more about that. So the Greater Reset is taking place January 25th through the 29th, and it is actually going to kind of mirror what the World Economic Forum is doing. Because as I said earlier, every January they meet in Davos, Switzerland. This year they say they're not meeting, they're saying they're doing it virtual because of COVID. But January 25th through the 29th, the World Economic Forum is going to be announcing their full vision for the Great Reset. So we haven't even fully seen what they have planned. We've seen mm -hmm. from the books and some of the talks, but this is going to be the official five-day announcement. And me and some friends started thinking, rather than us spending that week just kind of obsessively watching them, or what are they talking about? What are they saying? You know, which is what we, a lot of times we know our movements are reactive. We're not always proactive. We're reacting to what they do. Hey, they're building a pipeline. Let's go protest over here. Hey, they're doing this thing. Let's run over here. You know, we're, we're letting them drive our energy. So we figured, why don't we counter what they're doing by proposing five days of solutions? And let's look at the different areas of the world that they're talking about and how can we provide an alternative to that? So it's January 25th through the 29th. The website is thegreaterreset.org. It's completely free. We're going to be streaming through the website and probably multiple other social media platforms. And we've got about 30 speakers lined up so far. I mean, really awesome people. And I did my part to try to make it very diverse, diverse both in uh, 
gender, color, and ideas, because I don't want it to be like, you know, obviously I believe agorism is the solution, but I don't want it to be strictly like just about that idea. So we have yeah. uh, Charles Eisenstein, who I know you interviewed recently, coming to talk about sacred economics and, uh, you know, gift economy and some things like that. Uh, we've got uh, Sire and Kelly Brogan coming to talk about some health things. We've got Dr. Mercola, Dr. Vandana Shiva. You know, again, people who I know probably don't agree on everything, which <laughs> is fine. But people who agree that the Great Reset is the second day looking at health and education, the third day, uh, the environment, permaculture. How, how can we have an environmentalism that isn't based on Agenda 21, for example? Uh, Thursday, looking at decentralized technology, the liberating side of technology, because I don't believe that all blockchain is bad or that all cryptocurrency is bad, like some people believe. And then yeah. Friday is going to be the community day where we explore real examples of intentional communities and stuff. So each day has a theme. And the first speaker in each day is going to present the problems in that area. Here's the, their vision, the Great Reset vision of what they want us to do with the uh, economics, what they want us to do with the environment. And so we have Rosa Corey, who's done a lot of great work on Agenda 21. She'll be speaking about that. We have other speakers who are going to focus on the problems. And then all the rest of the speakers each day are going to be providing solutions. Here's alternatives to that vision. Here's ways that we can manifest something better. Because like I was saying earlier, this is already in motion. There's so much money and energy being spent to create this. So why don't we tap into that energy and manifest something that does reflect the values that that we, that we um, hold true. And so, as I said, the event is going to be completely free at thegreaterreset.org. Um, we are encouraging people to host local watch parties. So wherever you're watching or listening from in the world, you know, use freedomcells.org or use Facebook or use whatever you prefer to organize and say, hey, friends, come over to my house. We're going to watch these events. It's going to be taking place in the evening from 6 to 9 p.m., 9.30 or so. So there'll be about three or four hours of various talks and panels and ideas that are hopefully very fresh and interesting to people. And then our hope is that people will talk with their neighbors and their community members and say, how can we incorporate some of these ideas? How can we actually manifest this? Not, not just kind of like a passive thing where you're just watching and, and like, okay, we heard some cool things. And also again, we, there's so many great speakers and great thinkers out there that we could have chosen hundreds of different people, but we wanted to specifically focus on people who are very much solution oriented. So, I mean, that's going to be the backbone of what we're doing here. And um, so we're organizing local watch parties, but I will also throw out, we just recently announced for anybody who feels like traveling that we are, I'm going to be hosting an in-person event with, we have two, maybe three or four speakers. I'm waiting to get back confirmed that we'll be in person in Zihuatanejo, Mexico, which is down by the beach. So if anybody's interested in attending in person, we do have that information on the website and it's very affordable $30. You know, all you got to show up in $30 and you can watch the event on a big screen with other like-minded people, there'll be food and, and I'll be there and there'll be a couple of other speakers speaking in person. And yeah, I mean, this is just to me, I felt like we need to tap into solutions more than ever, especially, you know, the way 2021 is already starting. I just feel like, <laughs> all right, yeah, this is, I'm challenging myself for my work to continue to do good journalism, but also to focus on the solutions more than I ever have. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I put a lot of my solutions more in my books and my documentaries, but I noticed that you know, those aren't, those don't get as read as often as maybe my rants on Facebook or whatever. Right. So I'm just yeah. like, how can I promote solutions more than ever? And I think the greater reset is going to be a big part of that. So I just want to invite anybody who is looking for ideas, who sees the task that is at hand and sees the struggle that we're facing and maybe feels a little bit kind of lost or hopeless or just searching for solutions to, you know, check out the greater And if you have solutions that you don't see us or hear us presenting, you know, feel free to reach out to me because I, I don't claim to uh, believe, you know, to, to have all this figured out. I've got some ideas and, you know, I've learned a little bit in 10 years, but 
I'm definitely not alone in this. I mean, there's people like you, Joe, and plenty of others who are helping keep things, I think, a little bit more balanced and focused. And I really appreciate that because I think that's what we need more than ever right now. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there, it sounds like a, you know, a great event and I encourage people to check that out. There's going to be a link in the show notes as well. Um, for those who want to do check that out, it's, it's, we're, we're in this time where, you know, I, even just what you mentioned right at the end there with the, with the solutions, it's like, um, you know, you, you put, where do you, where do you put things these days? Right? Like that's the challenge. Like, you know, you, you'll have a podcast, you'll have videos on YouTube, you'll have whatever. And, and, and it feels like we're in this mode and this is kind of the point I want to make. We're in this mode where we like to read headlines. We like to <clears throat> watch like a two to three minute clip of something, but I, I almost want to <clears throat> challenge people as I got something stuck in the back of my throat here. <clears throat> I almost want to challenge people to, to also look at how you're consuming information and like, are you going deep enough in, in spending some of the time to really wrap your mind and your heart around some of these new and interesting ideas that, yeah, they, they might take an hour. Um, would we get more out of spending an hour really understanding uh, a single person's position versus, you know, spending uh, an hour looking at like 20 different little headlines and pieces here and there scrolling through social media. It's almost like this, uh, this question of, are we, are we looking, are we now in a time where, you know, deeper impact, more focused, more, uh, deeper paradigm shifting perspectives, um, is it time to kind of look at that and maybe, maybe do away with this really fast paced information overload, uh, mode where we're just kind of like reading little bits here and there through social media. Um, I personally feel like that's a shift that's happening and I think it's something that will really bode well for for this future moving forward but um derek it's been uh, it's been fantastic chatting um you know it's, it's good to catch up hear a lot of these more nuanced positions from you because you know this is what happens when you get together and you get to kind of talk about things in a deeper way yeah absolutely brother and i want to set up a time where we can switch roles here and uh, yeah. I can pick your brain for a little while for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your uh, work. And thanks for all the work that you're doing, you know, with your journalism and, and the books and everything else you're trying to put out there. I think solutions are hugely important. And uh, now's the time more than ever, like you said. Thank you, brother. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The C Show. If you have a moment, consider passing this show on to a friend or family member who you think would relate to this type of conversation. Bringing community together in these conversations is key and you'll find these days people are a lot more receptive to these emerging ideas and perceptions than they may have been in the past. Lastly, visit ctv.one and consider becoming a member of our community where you get access to a ton of video content, including original shows, discussions, and courses to help you make sense of the world and transform how you show up in life. Visit ctv.one to learn more.